Christ in the body of Christ. Would I agree 100% that that is the theme? I might tweak it. Having the mind of Christ in a world that doesn't. I might play around with it. When in Rome, when in a place that has va- uh, values that are antithetical to the gospel and to Christian values, I won't do as the Romans do. I'll do as Romans says and be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And so with that, let's open to Philippians chapter 1 and begin our study. Paul and Timothy, Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Right from this first verse, let's begin. If we had begun reading in Acts chapter 16, not at verse 6 down to 12, if we had begun at the first verse of Acts chapter 16, we would see how Paul met up with young Timothy, who's mother was a Jew, but his father a Greek, and whom Paul had Timothy to go and get circumcised so he wouldn't be a stumbling block to the Jews, and then to travel with him, you would see where that partnership began. And of course, you would then see as they traveled in those verses that we had read, Paul and Timothy, the servants. You see, like so many of the epistles, it begins with the signature. How cool is that? I mean, in our custom, we put our signature way down at the end. You get a long letter, and unless you go read the end first, and I I never wanted to read the end of a book first. My mom would do that. I thought it was strange. She would want to see if she's going to feel like reading the book. But it's, it's like when you study Spanish, in the Spanish language, it's so cool because they put an upside down question mark at the beginning of the sentence. That's brilliant. Because in English, you're reading, and sometimes you read three or four words into it before you realize it's a question. In many parts of the world, they put the day before the month, before the year, because you want to start with knowing the day. Here in the letter, we have what just appears at first glance to be a typical signature put in the beginning of the letter. But would you notice the word, the servants? It's not exclusively used here. But this is the only time in all of Paul's epistles where he only uses this word. Romans, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. 1 Corinthians, Paul, called to be an apostle. 2 Corinthians, Paul, an apostle. Galatians, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ. Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Colossians, the same. 1 and 2 Thessalonians doesn't have either of them. First and second Timothy, Paul an apostle, Titus, Paul a servant of God and an apostle, and Philemon, Paul a prisoner. In all of the others, the apostle Paul introduces himself not just as a servant, and often not even that way, but he says as an apostle. Philippians is an interesting book because it's not especially humility. It was a sign of weakness. The idea that you would you would humble yourself. Rather, there would be an arrogance. You would appear weak to be like that. That's the mindset Paul would not want to encourage in them. 
And so he leaves off any title. Later in the book, you remember that well-known passage in uh, Philippians chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul speaks of all his pedigree and he says, I count it all as waste, dung. He says, the tribe I come from, the education I have, being a Pharisee, all of that stuff, I count it, but loss, I count it as waste. It's nothing. Because I won't hang my confidence on those things. I have no confidence in all those achievements of the flesh. It's not where I find my credentials. But right from the beginning, Paul and Timothy servants. But we see not only the author, we see the audience that he's writing to. If you're looking there in Philippians chapter 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Now, if we took that little passage we read from Acts chapter 16... And we read past verse 12, we'd start to see each of those encounters, Lydia and the women who were down there at the river, devout, but they did not know Christ. But the Lord opened her heart, and then she constrained Paul and the others to come and stay with her. And there we see the beginning of that church plant in Paul's missionary journey. And then he was taken to jail because after he went with Lydia, there was that young damsel, that young servant girl who was following them around and she kept saying listen to them listen to them they have the word of salvation they have the word and Paul finally turned and cast out the spirit of divination and it riled up the city because all the people who were using that evil spirit of divination in her to gain profit lost it I wonder if she was in that church after that I wonder if she ended up coming the think about who was writing and then Paul would be in prison and that jailer who was the keeper of the prison he was the one who had the highest position and when that thing happened and all the prisoners were going he was just ready to take his own life honor shame he was supposed to have the authority and the power but he would appear to be weak it would be better to die do thyself no harm the apostle Paul would say Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You heard that video blogger refer to that. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And so think about the recipients that day. I wonder how Lydia felt when Epaphroditus came back, and he's going to stand up in the assembly and read a letter from the beloved Apostle Paul. Those who were there to that audience You will read on in that verse there and you'll see that it speaks of the two offices in the church with the bishops or overseers and the deacons. When Paul would write to Timothy, he would give the qualifications of both and our two offices. And we could learn everything we need to know about the qualifications for who a pastor, overseer, elder would be and who a deacon who would qualify in those passages there. And then grace be unto you and peace, as Mike brought up, from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing we see is Paul's greeting to the Philippians. Boy, with the background we have, we could read that with a little fuller sense tonight. Now let's look in the next section in verses 3 to 6 at Paul's gratitude for these Philippians. As we start to get in the book, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Whenever you come to mind, 
Whenever my mind is set on you, it's filled with thanksgiving. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making request with joy. Look at his mindset. Remember, he's writing from prison. But the fellowship that they shared, and we'll unpackage that a little bit more in a minute, that he shared with them and what he saw in them moved him to prayer and moved him to thanksgiving. He was not complaining or whining about the circumstances, and that wouldn't surprise them. They wouldn't be in Philippi, I don't believe, saying, wow, I can't believe he's writing from prison and he can write about being thankful and joyful and peace and rejoicing. That wouldn't surprise them. They'd heard it a hundred times. They've heard it. The jailer would tell them, you wouldn't believe that night in the prison in the midnight hour and they were in stocks and contorted. They must have been in pain and they had been beaten with rods, but they sang praises In the prison, it wouldn't surprise them that the Apostle Paul would be able to write to them with a thankful spirit, with that gratitude, and with that joy. Oh, how about us? When the line's too long at Dunkin' Donuts, and you lose your joy, and you're not especially thankful by the time you get up there. First world problems. This is just lovely. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request with joy. And what was he thankful for? For your partnership, for your fellowship, for your joint participation in the gospel from the first day until now. I could be full of thanks and full of joy. Anytime you come to my remembrance, Because we partnered from the very beginning. When I first met Lydia and those women and the Lord opened her heart and she constrained us to stay with her. Even when I was in prison and you, Mr. Jailer, got saved in your whole household. When you cleaned my wounds and then I baptized you and you came into there. What we shared from that moment on, we were partners in the gospel. That is fellowship. Hey, at our small group, we had some really good pineapple upside-down cake someone brought. That was good fellowship. But that wasn't the be-all, end-all. It was pretty close. It was good. A fellowship in the gospel. Let me ask you this tonight. You who are here, anyone who might be uh, viewing or listening, are you the kind of Christian, are you the kind of church member, person on the team here, are you the kind that would move your pastors that every time they think of you, they would think of you with thanksgiving, praising God with joy because you're such a partner in the gospel? Boy, as I look at that and consider it, I think, Lord, help every one of us to be the type of person who's so walking with Christ and partnering for the furtherance of the gospel. Would you be the one who provokes joy and thanksgiving? Because you partner with us. Would you be, the, would it be like this too? Notice as it goes on, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day 
I'm the new guy still, but I have to stop saying that. James told me that at one meeting. My term expires. I always say I'm the new guy right before I want to drop a truth bomb. I can't do it anymore because I crossed my one-year mark. I'm just the new guy, but I was thinking James called me out on it. I came to the one-year mark. I can't say it anymore, but I'm still the new guy because some of you have been around here since Methuselah. (laughs) You've been around here for a long time. And the pastor could say from the very beginning all the way until now, every time I think of you, it's with thanksgiving. I thank God upon every remembrance of you for your partnership, for your active participation, for your fellowship in the gospel from those first days all the way up to now. And in fact, I'm confident that Christ who began it in you He's going to complete that all the way to the day that you stand before that Bema seat and get judged for your works. This world screams out for people who are not yo-yo Christians with so-so commitment. This world screams out for a church, for people, for a body of Christ filled with people who have the mind of Christ and who are partnering together in the gospel, who won't allow a petty squabble, a personality difference to interfere with that, who won't allow something from without or something from within to take that apart. The Apostle Paul could say of them in the church, they weren't perfect, they had problems. He's going to be addressing it as he goes through. There were some little personality conflicts going on in there and he would try to entreat some other people to kind of get involved and get them to calm things down and do nothing with vainglory have the mind of Christ let this mind be in you he's going to be addressing those because when you live in Rome when you live in Philippi when you live in a place where the attitudes are totally contrary Paul would write all these things boy I need this book don't you the next thing I would look there is in the next section And I'm being very careful to leave my last one with enough time. In Philippians chapter 1, as we move on from verses 3 to 6 into 7 and 8, look at the Apostle Paul's affection for them. He has this great confidence in them that they started great, they've been going great up until now, and he just believes Christ is just going to keep working in their lives And he says in verse 7, It is right for me this way to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are partakers with me of grace. I, I might underline that right there. For you are active participants, for you are joint participants, for you are partakers with me of the grace. both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. See, Paul was writing to a a prideful place. And as he was writing to them, it's a disgrace to be in prison, not for Paul. He says, you're partners with me of this grace. He says, this is just God's grace being poured out. I, I, I see it as more than just the grace to endure being in prison. I think I'm kind of using a little sanctified imagination here, but I'm thinking that when they said, well, Paul, you've got to be chained to this guy for six hours, and then the next guard will come on his shift, and the one after that. And I think Paul was like, amen. I got a captive audience. 
I'll talk to this one, and I'll talk to the next one for the furtherance of the gospel. He says, God's grace is just so great. He told me I'm going to stand before high people, before kings, and I'm going to be able to get, give the gospel, and I've got this one, and there's another one coming in six hours. And if they get too tired of me talking, I'll just write. Let me write to those guys over there at Ephesus. They need to hear some things about the wealth, the spiritual blessings. I'll get that letter done. I need to straighten up those people at Colossae. They're getting, they're getting all kinds of wrong doctrine in there. I'm going to just... Oh, and the Holy Spirit would use that time. See, Paul can look at his circumstances and realizes, as we hear so often from pastor, that he's just part of God's much bigger story. And in that place, he could write back to them, thank you for sending that gift with Epaphroditus. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, I just thank God upon remembrance. And thank you for being partakers of being joint recipients of the grace that God gives for God is my record how greatly I long after you all. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I want time for this last one, my last part here, as we go into verses 9 to 11. <clears throat> now we get to Paul's prayer. Back in verse 3 and 4, he said, Any time I thank God upon every remembrance, making mention of you always in my prayer. And now we get the content. How fitting to finish prayer week and then start our next week with one of the great prayers in the Bible. It's not exactly the prayer, but he tells them what I pray for you all the time. I just keep praying for you. You will notice in the Apostle Paul's prayers, you're just not going to read any of them in, in his different epistles in different places. When the Apostle Paul writes and he shares, he either prays or he shares the content of what he's praying. I've never seen him pray for that they get that new car that they get a low interest rate on the mortgage for their house. I just never see him dealing with material things. He just always gets right to the heart. He gets to deep matters of the heart, spiritual things. And I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And so take these feast on these verses, what the Apostle Paul prays for them that your love may abound, that it may exceed any set measure or limit, that it may abound. It's not a surprise that he might pray that for anyone because we know the greatest of these is love. As important as faith is and hope, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, love is the greatest. We know it's the great commandment. And the second one, just like it, love God and love others. We know that it's the hallmark, it's the evidence of our discipleship, it's the evidence that we are a follower of Jesus, indeed a real disciple, for they shall know you are my disciples if you love one another. It's no surprise that that would be his prayer. Ought it not be our prayer for one another? Wouldn't you pray for us pastors that we would love our wives in an abounding way, not get so wrapped up in ministry and work that we pastors become uh, imbalanced in that, that we pastors would pray, love our children with an abounding love, that we would love you as we shepherd the flock, as we work together. Wouldn't you pray that way for your pastors? Oh, Pastor Walker, as I pray for him, that his love may yet abound, may still abound, may still increase and grow and flow like a mighty river. Ought we as pastors not to pray that same way for you? 
that your love would abound? You say, sometimes my love just runs out. It runs dry. It's tough to love that way. Do you not know that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart? Romans chapter 5. Do you not know that there is a source that is deep that we can have the capacity to allow Christ to work in us and through us to have an abounding love? This world needs it. We need to have the mind of Christ. Mind is so much bigger than intellect. We need to have the mind of Christ in the body of Christ and then have that mind, not to be love-starved, but to be saturated, to be soaked in the love of Christ, and it abounds that others can be touched by it, that others can be attracted to Christ through that. And this I pray that you're Love may abound yet more and more. Wait. We're not talking sloppy agape. We're not talking lovey-dovey, warm fuzzy. He says, I'm going to give some qualifiers. You see, in these three verses, everything that comes after, he prays one thing, that your love may abound. And he said, now I'm going to qualify it. I'm going to expand on it. I'm going to modify it. I'm going to give some purpose clauses so that, so that, so that. I'm going to say how it has to have some type of boundaries right there from the beginning in those little prepositional phrases. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment or discernment. You're going to need to have a love that has those. Think of a river A mighty river flowing, but boy, the banks are important for direction, for protection. A river that just overflows its banks can flood a city and bring great destruction. It can do much damage. But he says, I pray that your love may abound, may yet, may still, may continue to abound yet more and more and keep growing in knowledge. Does abounding love describe you if your spouse were to go off and talk to his or her therapist please don't would they be saying my husband my wife's love for me is just abounding yet more and more would your child would your brothers and sisters in Christ say, I see an abounding love and it's growing? Not puppy love, not that beginning. When I first got here, I loved this church. It's just the best church. I've never been at a church like this. Everybody just loves one another. And you come in, hello, 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 Ted's there. And you meet the ushers and the people and they come up to you and they love you. And a month later, hmm, different story. Yet more and more in knowledge, in a mature knowledge, in a precise and correct knowledge, a knowledge that comes from experience in puppy love. If our love is just pure emotion and not in knowledge, if we don't have that one bank to our river, you can have a mess. Because there are days I emotionally love my wife like no one, like I could love no one else in this world. And maybe there could be another day that I don't. That couldn't happen with me, but it could more likely happen with her because sometimes I'm just unlovable. And if my love is just all about because I feel it, because I have emotion, but it's not in knowledge, that can be dangerous. I can mess up a marriage. I can mess up a ministry. I could ruin a testimony. 
And so that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that second riverbank. A mature insight or perception. See, I need discernment in how to express my love. I can love my child by giving them a beautiful gift. Isn't that a legitimate expression of love? No? Sure it is. I could love my child by giving them a spanking too. I'm going to need discernment to know. I could love my child by giving them some money. And I can love my child by withholding it. I love you too much to loan you any more money until you take care of some things in your own life. So may our love abound more and more in our families, in the body of Christ, with those great riverbanks, so to speak, with those things that would guide it and would direct it. It goes on as we look at those verses, that ye may approve, that ye might test. I think we heard that the same idea in this morning's message, that you can test things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. Uh, I've got everything in the world but the time. Very good. Now I can see it. That we can approve things that are excellent. We could test them like, I think we heard it this morning, if I'm remembering correctly, metals that are pure versus metal that are alloys. And as you follow this and see it, that we may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of our God. I don't have the time. Our time is up. But you might want to unpackage some of that and study and say, wow, the Apostle Paul prayed one thing for them. You live in a place where you're going to need to overcome temptations to be prideful, have humility, where you're going to live in a place where you're tempted to think that your rights and what you deserve and what you should get are primary. No, be a servant. Humble yourself in service. Beautiful things. That will be a natural outgrowth of a mature love on your part. In the weeks to follow, we will walk through the book of Philippians together. It's a great opportunity for us to grow together in love, in humility, in Christ confidence rather than self-confidence, to grow in joy. We need this book because we live in a very Roman world and need a Romans, not a Roman mindset. Father, as we come now to this time and close, I pray that you would bless the study. I pray that the table was set just a little bit for the preachers who will follow as each of us bring our study of this dear book and that you would speak through each person and that you would use it, giving us in this body of Christ more and more a mind of Christ. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.